Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio, our weekly check-in with apparel insiders and thought leaders, which spotlights a variety of topics currently driving change in the market. I am Edward Hertzman, founder and president of Sourcing Journal and Rivet. On today's episode, we will be speaking with Manel Van Muurs, owner of Canoe Denims, the Amsterdam-based denim stores that have become hubs for the city's denim heads. Through a curated selection that focuses on quality brands and fits, the independent retailer has gained a global following and reputation for selling the best in denim, including brands like Double RL, Japan Blue, and its own house label. And while Tenu Denims maintains a small, community-like environment in its stores, the retailer has built meaningful relationships with globally recognized brands. Those relationships paid off last year for the retailer's 10th anniversary, which Tenu Denim celebrated with a series of collaborations with Levi's Vintage Clothing, Red Wings, Vans, and more. And it's for these reasons that Manel was named one of Rivet's 50 most influential people in denim. Manel, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. So last year, you celebrated uh, your 10th anniversary. Can you take us back to how it all began and what led you to open a denim boutique in Amsterdam? especially during a, fin- a global financial crisis? Well, when I uh, grew up in a small village uh, in between two bigger cities in the Netherlands, uh, I, I soon realized that denim was, uh, was the thing to follow for me. And, um, you know, I think every entrepreneur has this uh, well-developed uh, bit of positivity. And um, I think sometimes you'd also be able to ignore or close your eyes uh, to, to all the yeah the negative uh, negative influences and negative stuff out there you know and um of course there have been many many people that uh, said before i started to Nudenim that it was the it was not the right moment uh, i graduated twice on university why wasn't i just looking for a, a normal job um but and of course, the global crisis and the state of fashion and the way retail collapsed over the years uh, didn't help uh, those people to be more faithful. But on the other hand, I think um, although we've managed to swim through a lot of uh, yeah, very, very uh, uh, dramatic uh, periods uh, in retail uh, in, in general, I think we... Uh, we just had a lot of success over the years and we managed to grow the business uh, substantially. So I'm quite positive. How has the store evolved uh, over the past 10 years? Well, you know, um, I think when people ask me that, the best way to explain how Tenudinim evolved is to put it parallel to the evolution of genes. 
I think um, denim and jeans in particular have the power to um, be relevant in any sort of time. And although it changes and it gets new interpretations, um, jeans always seem to uh, find out a new self. And if I look back at pictures uh, of Tunidinim in 2008, I sometimes make fun of it and I compare it to this haircut of 15 years ago. You're like, holy shit, how, how, how have I, uh, uh, why didn't anyone tell me how ridiculous I looked? And I'm not saying that I uh, think Tunidinim back in 2008 was kind of ridiculous, but uh, I, I think it's super nice to see how stuff evolves. And when we started the business, it was uh, it was a very a clean approach. Uh, it was, uh, let's say it was more driven to a Scandinavian, Japanese kind of, uh, kind of feel. And then we rode the, the beautiful heritage wave and... Uh, we did a lot of research to the real McCoys in the business, and we went, yeah, we went very strict in our heritage approach. And then eventually we kind of landed the whole thing in this weird mix between Europe, US, and Japan. And I think at the moment that's where we found our sweet, sto- uh, sweet spot. You know, you're right. It's so funny. I've I've recently was was cleaning out my closet, and I I found. A bunch of jeans back from when I was in college and these are like you know the when diesel was in its heyday and I remember at the time these were considered like the super super skinny almost like skin tight jeans and if you put them on today well frankly I can't even close them today but if you put them on today they are so baggy in comparison to what we wear it's it's almost laughable so it's 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 amazing to your point even even in a few years just looking back to some things that i have purchased uh, you know cuts trends washes everything everything it changes it's cyclical but that's also what helps us stay in business and you know talking about evolution of business ha- have you always had an online store or is this something you've you've opened up recently well um I have this love and hate relationship with online business. Um, we were there quite early, I think, uh, opening the first online business. But um, until a few years ago, we refused to do sale in the stores. And to not have sale and to be online, that's kind of a, a hard mix. So, so um, it's, it's, my, um, yeah, it's my philosophy that if I do my job well as a retailer, and I provide you with uh, value for money, uh, we just don't need a lot of sale in our lives. Because if I do my job right, what what do we need discounts for? Uh, discounts would probably mean I bought the wrong things, or um, yeah, the value for money might, might not be at the level that I expect it to be. How much of it do you think is the consumer psychology that they're just been trained for a sale? Well, I think there's absolutely a major part of the stake uh, that people yeah, have in their hands, which is preserved as something discounted. But in fact, it's not. It's just uh, the word sale on top of it. But, but that's, that's almost a topic on itself. And, but if I go back to a very basic idea of me finding great products bringing that into my shop and showing it to some people and the people are attracted to it and they fall in love with it and they're, they're, they're wearing it. And eventually they come back maybe uh, for another pair or another piece. 
um, we have a very straightforward lean and dean business model. And um, I've always been very passionate about making sure that I find the right products at the right price at the right time and also explaining the value of a product. And um, I feel that in, in the Netherlands, uh, we would call it clean up. That was the, the general word for, for the sale period. And if you would consider the sale period being something as yeah, cleaning out your closet and getting rid of those things that you don't wear anymore, then it's it's a super positive thing. But if it becomes something that's just another reason to stuff the goose even more and make sure that it swallows more clothing and uh, then then we're totally on the right uh, on the wrong page here, especially if you if you acknowledge where denim and the product comes from. And yeah, I don't think we need a lot of good stuff. We just need a few very great pieces. And, and that's what we love to specialize in. And if I go back to your question about online, I believe I, I needed a couple of years uh, to establish myself online. But then I really took it, took it off because I was just fed up with it. And I felt that I, we didn't have the right approach. Um, and then I kind of redefined my, uh, my online presence and my online self. And now with all the collaborations and the exclusive product of Tenu, our label, in the mix with a lot of very limited, sought-after Japanese brands, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, I think there is this new relevance for Tenu Denim in the online business, which is super saturated. And yeah, there's so many people offering stuff. So it took us a couple of years to understand what our role would be um, in addition to the brick and mortar business that we run from our two stores in Amsterdam. So do you notice a difference in the consumer that purchases online versus offline? Um, well, I believe there is, uh, there's a lot of answers to that question. Uh, first of all, I think that um, what I really like about online business is that I, I can present my stuff to places in the world that I've never been or sometimes I've never even heard of. And the idea that someone in a small village in the US or in Asia finds or come across my, my company and then uh, is attracted to it and start, start, starts purchasing stuff from, uh, from our online store, I mean, that's like amazing. So uh, there, is this, there is this huge uh, window of opportunity in that sense. Um, on the other hand, I feel that since there is no physical human involved in the sales process, and maybe there is also less connection to the person that sold you a certain product, people are maybe easier to swap things and to send stuff back. And therefore, we do everything in our power to apply as much as we can from the brick and mortar business model and the way we approach people, the ver very personal way of approaching people and apply that to the online business. And that's, that's a classroom that never sleeps. You know, that's, that's, that's something that we get better in every day because I still feel that if we combine, can combine the, the two and take the best of brick and mortar and take the best of online, and, and we merge those two, then 
there's something super interesting happening because what I would like to do is to get the feeling um, into the minds of, 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 of our friends in uh, the Philippines, for instance, as if they are shopping in our physical shop, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. You know, we're not there yet, obviously, but what we do is we learn from both the worlds. And um, I mean, what I'm very proud of is that uh, people, my customers in general, are very mindful about what they buy. Um, they seem to have um, a lot of questions and they also collect a lot of information. So um, generally people know what they're buying, so to say. And that helps uh, to make sure that they actually buy the right product and the right size. Uh, because, of course, if they live on the other side of the world, it's it's very important that they're happy about their purchase and uh, they will actually come back for more. I have a question. I want to pivot the conversation a little bit. You know, here in the U.S., we cover a lot of news about retail bankruptcies, store closures, and, and, and really the disappearance of the independent retailer. How would you describe the health of Amsterdam's retail sector? I think, to be honest, that if uh, anyone thinks in our business that the worst already happened, uh, he or she is wrong. Uh, and now I'm, I'm, I'm sounding very dogmatic, but we are in the middle of a big paradigm change. And um, everybody who believes that, um, that in 2008, when uh, Lehman Brothers uh, fell apart and the world uh, was shaking, um, everybody who thinks that that was uh, something big to the retail business, I, I guess they're wrong. I think What I see now uh, is that the biggest hits are yet to come. And that's because there is such a huge group of uh, fellow retailers who did not translate their old business model into a new business model and now uh, have big problems. And um, I, see, I still think it's also, uh, um, it's also something that's happening in, in the real estate business. It's connected to what's happening in the real estate business because as much as it, this is going on in New York, it's the same in, uh, in Amsterdam. It seems like that the landlords and the, the, the owners of all the properties still think they're in wonderland and they continue to push up prices uh, and therefore kick out uh, yeah, their, uh, their retailers. Um, you know, so if, if, if we don't make a positive change and uh, we collaborate in a better way with uh, property owners and make sure that they don't close their eyes for what's happening. I believe that there is a lot more um, very dramatic uh, situations to come. And um, I, I'm, I'm still surprised that um, there's so much um, bankruptcies also in the Netherlands of very well-respected well companies that have been around for, for decades, uh, sometimes even uh, for generations. And they can't seem to find the connection with the new world. Uh, and that's very sad. Oh, I, I agree completely. I think I think the, the worst is yet to come. And I think that, 
even though we're seeing a big, you know, a big surge in these digitally native businesses and direct to consumer businesses, I don't think they, they haven't necessarily all figured out either. So we have this, this, this conflict or this war between traditional brick and mortar, digitally native, you know, who's taking market share, but ultimately you have two business models that have yet to really figure out the, the secret sauce. So I think I agree. Yeah, but, but, but uh, sorry to interrupt, but I think you should not underestimate uh, what, what it does that a lot of brands seem to think that they don't need retailers anymore. You absolutely need retailers. But the problem is they're both cannibalizing each other. And so you have a, uh, you're having a lot of shakeout in the meantime. Well, you know, the, 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 very simple, uh, the very simple reason behind all of this is that a lot of brands seem to think that retailers uh, are not, uh, no longer the, the, the gateway to heaven. And they feel that there is this uh, side heaven that we might have uh, <laughs> access to. But, you know, um, it's, it's very hard to find the, the good partners and to, to, to stay close to those partners and, and continue to be strong together. Um, so it's 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 like a wild cocktail of, yeah, mixed interests that, yeah, is boiling and boiling. It's interesting is, you know, some of the, the direct-to-consumer brands who swore they would never open a store, um, you see them now opening their own brick and mortar. And a lot of them also swore they would never get into wholesale and – you know, I just came back from Vegas for the for the magic and project shows and Liberty shows. And some of the brands that never would have been there because they started out as digitally native, you're seeing them start to sell to retail. So to your point, I, I think it's it's a misconception. You need the distribution channels, you need you need the exposure. Um, I just think that no one has like to your point has completely figured out, you know, the the, the perfect mix at this point. So a lot's gonna change. And uh, I think, you know, five, 10 years from now, we're going to be looking at a whole new group of players um, that are dominating the market, which is exciting and scary at the same time. Well, I'm not scared. I'm not scared at all, to be honest. Um, I'm just, you know, you have to be able to, to, to digest a lot of that and to make something positive out of it again, you know, but if, if, if someone would have told me how much crisis and retail disruptions and, um, well, uh, bank crises and, 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 and global negativity we would have to face when we started the business, well, I, I don't think a lot of people would, would even consider starting the business anyway. But all, all through that, that entire like dark period in retail, we, we managed to do a great business. We managed to grow. And sometimes people just accuse us of being a silly group of happy idiots. But the point is that I feel that if you sell great product, take good care of customers and make them feel happy, I believe there will always be a business. Let's move on to a slightly different topic. Um, when you're looking, when you're sourcing for product, you know, what, is, what qualities do you look for in a brand that you sell? Well, I mean, there's there's three kind of unofficial rules that we like to live by. Uh, first of all, uh, the brand that we sell should somehow be a, an industry leader or potentially become one. Uh, and I feel that there's so much product to offer and there's so much brands out there that I feel that to really make a difference, and in this case, I'm in the denim business, you can just only sell the best of the best and um 
but there's there's um, there's a lot of great brands out there, and uh, they should also be fun. I feel that um, I've been doing this for eleven years, and um, we we came through a lot of uh, very interesting, but uh, very like. Uh, restless periods in retail so if you don't like love this game and love the brands that you work with you're going to have a very tough work week (laughs) so uh, you know to work with fun brands and fun people who also seem to love their game uh, is also an important ingredient Uh, and and the third thing that we always tell each other is that to be able to work with this brand uh, or these brands uh, within Tenudenim we also want to be able to add something to it because a true collaboration to us is one and one makes three. And um, so if everything is said about a brand or about a product and there is, there is no like um, interesting cocktail anymore that, that, we can, that, that we can create together with a brand within the, the borders of Tenudinim, that could also be a reason not to do it. Um, so those three things, um, the, the the potential of becoming an industry leader, uh, the fun aspect, but also the, uh, the the idea of being able to add something with the new team are are super important things uh, for us uh, to consider uh, working with a certain brand. Are there any new brands or designers that you've come across recently that's kind of on your radar that you want to put into the store? Well, I think this time uh, deserves. Um, to, to, to bet on, on, on the strong partnerships that we have. Um, Tunedinim is, uh, is, is, is quite a famous uh, denim store in the world. So you can imagine we get a lot of requests from brands that actually want to, want to put their products into our stores. So we're very mindful about what we add and what we don't. Um, and, and also, you know, in regards to all the other things that we discussed previous to this subject, um, I think this time requires strong partnerships. So what we did is rather than, you know, um, exploring the world to to come up with more and new and latest, we decided to strengthen the partnerships with the brands that we've been collaborating over the course of the past 11 years. And uh, in addition to that, we really have to focus on our own products and our own brand to new. So, you know, speaking of, of partnerships for your 10th anniversary, you, you teamed up with brands like Levi's and Vans. Uh, you know, you did some special capsule collections together. You know, was it difficult uh, to get these mega brands involved? Well, actually not. I mean, most of these brands we have been collaborating with for the past 10 years. And this was just another reason to... Uh, do something great again. Um, I think that's also, you know, um, the positive uh, situation that we're in is that we we do this because we love this game. We love uh, selling the best product out there. And uh, I think in the mix that we present at Tenudenim, a lot of the brands are happy to be there. We are happy that the brands are there. And there is this, yeah, strange uh, positive vibe. And yeah, we, we drink beers with these guys and uh, we talk like we do now. And yeah, we come up with crazy ideas. We uh, we kill nine out of 10, uh, but we walk away with that one uh, project. And, you know, for instance, the one that we did with Levi's uh, Vintage Clothing uh, was, was just a, a super crazy one. We were supposed to collaborate with Levi's Red Tab. And um, 
we were thinking of a couple of concepts uh, to uh, to put it into play. And uh, one of the things I presented to the team in the Netherlands was um, I showed them my favorite pair of 1970s uh, Levi's 501. Super beaten up, paint spots on it, holes in it. And like, yeah, if you think of worn jeans, that's like the true personification of it. Anyway, I, I sent the jeans on their request to San Francisco and Paul, their creative director, saw the jeans and, and literally said to the guys, hell no, that this is going to Red Tap. I want this in Levi's Vintage. So, you know, although everything might feel planned and strategic, strategically put into the market, a lot of these things just, you know, uh, start over a nice beer and then go completely out of hand. And the rest is history. <laughs> so I have one more question for you. Um, why do you think you've been successful in building a sense of community in your stores? Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a popular subject, especially where it comes to retail specialists, you know, community, um, the, uh, the, 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 the kind of atmosphere in shops. It's It's all quite... Yeah, interesting verbs. But you know, to be very honest with you, we're just we're we're just we have a we have a thing in the Netherlands. And uh, sorry if I uh, translate it very silly, but basically what we say is that idiots attract. I think we've been attracting other idiots, and I mean this very positively, uh, since we started in two thousand eight. And we've always managed to use uh, the, the 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 benefits of for instance internet and and when all when all of that came into play uh, to collaborate with other like-minded idiots in 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 San Francisco in Tokyo in Kojima in in India for all I know and uh, to find people with yeah the same kind of approach to product to jeans to to retail and we've been happily collaborating with these people sometimes without even seeing them you know and then all of a sudden, if you flash forward a couple of years, you have this weird group of uh, like-minded people that ride this happy wave of creating good stuff, uh, memorable stuff in a market that is com completely flooded with shit. And uh, we managed to, uh, yeah, to 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 stand uh, stand up against that and and make sure that uh, that we have a positive approach that uh, that hopefully. Uh, can last a lot of a lot more years. So I mean, this is this sounds amazing, and congratulations on all your success. I'm sure you'll have another ten years and more of 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 great great business and great partnerships. For for those that that are listening, if they're interested in in contacting you, um, is there is there a website? Is there an email that they could reach out if they have any questions? Absolutely. I mean, all the. All the followers out there, and I, I'm I'm hoping that the, my pronunciation uh, will actually get people to visit the Instagram and the website. But uh, the website is www.tunudenim.com, um, and our Instagram is at tunudenim. Uh, we're based in Amsterdam. Um, we're um, a global but very local team, so uh, it's always great if people from the other side of the world reach out and. Uh, we're happy to take the time to, uh, yeah, to talk about the stuff that we do and maybe give them some information. So they're super welcome. Fantastic. Thank you again. It's a pleasure.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.